We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to continue our discussions involving the rotation. And Dee, I know you had some uh, thoughts on your mind about a recent article. Well... Austin Reeves recently did a sit down with Sham Sharanya and Austin was talking about his goals for this season. And ultimately his goal is to be a starter, which I think every player wants to start. Right. And so, hey, breaking news, player says he wants to start. Um, But that had me thinking about more potential lineups, right? We've we've been talking about the report that came out a few days ago from Zach Lowe around like things that he had been hearing around a potential starting lineup. And and that starting lineup did not include Austin Reese, but it did include Kendrick Nunn and Damian Jones. And those two guys flanked Russ and LeBron and, and AD. And we played those scenarios out and talked about that a fair amount, right? But I'm starting to think more about, okay, well, what is the most viable starting group? And then we played this out again, even more when we started to talk about our 10-man rotations and who we might start. And Mike was not speaking from a team perspective. He was speaking from his own perspective, like this is what I would do. And he had Pat Beverly as a guy who should be in the starting lineup and potentially starting Pat Bev, maybe even next to Kendrick Nunn. And I've been thinking a lot about Pat Bev within the context of this minutes distribution that we've been discussing a lot and how difficult it might be for him to stay in that range of 22 to 26 or 27 minutes a night and have the proper distribution of minutes for for him and doing that while he's a starter without there being a lot of rest in between and how you keep him engaged even that sounds weird for pat bev because he's always engaged but but you know what what i mean where you're going to get the most out of him from a playing perspective and then i was thinking about austin reeves and austin being one of the more well-rounded players that the lakers have and how he actually is the epitome of the all-purpose guard that plays well around stars a la like alex caruso to a certain extent which then brought me back to Russell Westbrook. 
I'm looking at Russ as a player who Darvin Ham over over this offseason after he he was hired. Darvin's been doing a very good job of coaching Russ through the media to a certain extent, but also respecting him in in a way that I'm sure Russ probably did not feel he was as respected last season. And part of that idea was, well, okay, well, Russ is Russ is a starter. He's a starting caliber player in this league. And I want to say Mike Ham might have even used that phrase during one of his media availabilities that he's done since he got hired. But starting caliber player or not, I'm looking at lineups that potentially, and a starting lineup potentially, that may not include Russell Westbrook. And I've been talking a lot about how the Lakers have a lot of guards and playing a lot of guards gets tricky and finding the right combinations for that are going to optimize the team and not just an individual player is to me super important for a Lakers team that is not as talented on paper as some of the other teams in in the the Western Conference. That's just a fact. So I just wanted to sort of use that as a jumping off point for a discussion around what a starting lineup can look like, what it potentially should look like. I want to talk about Austin Reeves here, and I also do want to talk about Russell Westbrook and deserve to me or the political will, Pete, that you might have or not have in order to bring Russell Westbrook off of the bench. These are interesting discussions that I'm guessing are being had behind the scenes. I'm not there, so I don't know, but there's a lot of this stuff that's going on. The starting lineup question is to me such a big part of an offseason where Coaches have all this time to shift through tape and to, especially when it's a new coaching staff and especially when there are as many new players as the, as the Lakers have to make the master sheet and the rotation sheet. And then a couple of guys start to trickle into the practice, trickle into the practice facility. And, oh, wait a second. Player X looks better than we thought he might. Oh, wait, player mm-hmm. X looks worse than we thought. And then that starts to impact. And so when you're around the building a little bit, it's almost like a, it's not quite the same as a, as a day-to-day thing, but things evolve week to week for sure in terms of what some ideas are as to how things could look, because of course they do. And that's my point about the off season, because once the preseason starts, then everybody can see how certain guys look together. And the main point, and I, I think the reason I'll start where Darius did in talking about Austin Reeves is that Reeves looked good on the court last year and his plus minus also reflected that. It, this is the same thing that happened with Alex Caruso. And despite being different players, like when Caruso was on the court, the team was typically better, whether it was with the bench or whether he got in, into certain closing lineups. And so that to me is whether it's whether it's Caruso uh, in the past or now Austin Reeves being thought of, even as Jerry's just mentioned, as maybe a potential starter. Well, why not? Now, he might have to he might have some hurdles to cross just by nature of being an undrafted free agent rookie last year, where his perception around the league that on day one, you might say, if you give your mini mids a Lonnie Walker or something, there, there might be something where that in his head puts him in a certain spot above Austin Reeves. But if Austin Reeves comes in and just plays better every day in practice, then that's that kind of rips that uh, that away. That notion of a guy has to play in a certain in a certain spot. Russell Westbrook last year, when you trade for him, what they traded for him, of course, he was in what he had done in the past. Of course, he was going to come in as the starter. Well, that doesn't have to exist this year, especially when he is on an expiring contract. So 
the all of these situations change, but then what really makes them evolve is the basketball. And to add Beverly into this, you know, I just like the fit and I like the way that he starts the game for you in terms of the energy and part of what the Lakers lacked last year. But he's going to play his minutes regardless. And and so I'm not as concerned about what the lineup is with Beverly and with Reeves, but I know that those two guys need to play and they need to be a prominent part of the rotation, you know, whether, and they need to be playing alongside LeBron and AD in one of the shifts, particularly. So I'm, I could be, I could be convinced by Darwin or by you guys, or just by my own eye, by watching them a couple of different rotation ideas. I'm just, I think emphasizing the way that Austin and Beverly specifically fit and we'll see about none as opposed to the way that Westbrook fits with LeBron and AD and trying to, that's kind of part of what I'm saying with the starting thing by, by not going in for any reason, feeling like I have to play him um, in the starting lineup and I have to play him next to LeBron and AD a certain number of minutes. Cause I, I just don't know if that basketball fit um, is, is the best. And I think we're set to be a certain level of meritocracy in terms of the the players that we have, especially outside of LeBron and AD, in that this is very much a may the best man, man win type of environment. I love the point that you made, Mike, of we can, and this is what the coaches are doing. This is what we do on an amateur level. I've been doing this. This is what I did in the back of class when I was a kid. A lot of times, because my last name starts with a Z, they'd seat you uh, alphabetically. And so I was like in the back row, in the last row, the back seat. The, the teacher's like Bueller, 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 yeah. Peace Factor. He's like, all right, I got six minutes to to figure out the Showtime Laker rotation. Uh, That's exactly what it was. So this is this is more Van Exel era Lakers, but I used to make these lists. My dad, my dad still cracks up about this, where it would be like written out every player at every position in the league, and like while we're supposed to be doing schoolwork or whatever. Anyhow. The coaches do that. Uh, everyone kind of geeks out to this. But then, and this has been one of the things I've loved about being in the facility, even though it's somewhat torturous, is I, I've mentioned this, like sitting where I sit, I can hear them playing. And as you're saying, my guys are starting to like trickle in and they're starting to get like runs of five in. And I, I, I'm hearing referee whistles yesterday. And like, so it's getting more and more formalized, right? And it's a loud gym. I've really been excited about that. But that's the type of environment where it's like you can come up with all of your theoreticals. You can watch the tape from last year, all of that. But when guys start showing up in the building, and like you said, Mike, this guy's a little better than I expected. This guy's not moving that well. This guy's jumper looks bad, right? And so that is one of the things I'm excited about, D, is that we can theorize all we want, but these guys are going to have to battle. I'm very much for a preseason competition. Like we've got two spots locked up and this is where it goes back to the Russ and the Austin, Pat Bev, all of that. We've got two spots locked up, maybe even three with Pat Bev, but it, that could be starter or bench. Right. Um, but where everybody else, including Russ, I think it's fair to ask like, no, you need to beat the guy across from you. And if I'm in Russell Westbrook's shoes and they're like, oh no, actually, uh, and and say that there's a, a an idea that oh yeah we're gonna we want to bring you off of the bench. I'm like, well, I'm a, how about I kick everyone's ass in training camp? You know what I mean? Like, you want to bench me? How about I kick your ass? And so that is something that I don't know if that's the reaction that he has, but I think that's fair to ask. It's fair to ask that everybody compete for the job that they're about to have. I also think that's what happens when a you have a brand new team again. You're talking about this guy looks different or better or worse. And we're referencing the tape. Well, half the team's tape is not from Lakers games, right? 
And so it's just like, okay, you might have this sense of what Troy Brown is as a Mm. player, but what's he look like when he's playing next to Pat Beverly? You, you know what Pat Bev is as, as a player, but what's he actually look like in a backcourt with Russell Westbrook? And that's why it was very interesting when Darvin Ham got asked, Mike, a point-blank question about, hey, what do you think about a potential starting lineup that includes Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly? And I know some of that is a fishing expedition around the idea of these dudes don't like each other and like, hey, how are you going <laughs> to like like put the chemistry mix together with those two guys? But Ham answered in a way where he was just like, well, if they play defense, maybe, right? And it's this idea of, Ham is going back to, well, what's it look like on the court? And Mike, the idea that I have about Ham too is it's not just like a new team and new players and new players having to sort of learn each other and come together and battle it out in a way that you may not have if you have 90% of your roster returning where all of those roles are baked in. A lot of this feels up for grabs. Well, Another variable that makes things up for grabs is you have a brand new head coach and the new head coach is not beholden to old ideas. Right. And Mm -hmm. he's going to go off of what he knows about the team and the players. And that's where the tape is going to be informative, but you need to have a certain amount of cachet and stature within the organization, I think in order to be not gifted, but to have this pre-established thing laid out for you. And I think Pete's right. And that there's two guys who fit that criteria. They're the two guys who are under contract for the next three seasons or more. Anyone else, it's just like the only other guys who are under contract beyond this season are Damian Jones and Max Christie, right? So it's like everyone else is an expiring contract. They're all on one-year deals, every single one of them. Now, there's a whole nother conversation about how healthy that is for your team environment and all of this stuff. And maybe that's a pod topic for another day, right? But I'm looking at this from, from the context of Darvin Ham is like, show me. I say that a lot, me, Darius, on this pod. Show me. Show me what you can do. But he's the head coach. He's definitely going to be like, oh, yeah? Show me. Because when you show me, that's what's going to promote or demote you within the context of any Mm -hmm. perceived role that you think is available to you. And that's what I'm interested in seeing as camp starts and plays out and preseason starts and plays out and yada, yada, yada. And Darius, I think there are also even subtleties to show me because NBA tape exists on on players. Let, Let me use Russ as an example. So. For Russ, it's, you can't just say, hey, you're in a new situation. And this is rewinding back to last year. You're in a new situation. So everything else in the, in the past is washed. Like, like this, is how, this is how we're going to play this year. It's like if a guy plays the same way for many, many years, then the show me is different. Like show me that you can change as opposed to mm. show me what you can do in this situation. And so there are some guys that, hey, show me that you can evolve and change. Like when Dwight Howard came to the 1920 team, Dwight, show me that you can change. You, you're not getting post-ups. You're shutting screens, you're playing defense. And he did. That's a rarity, right? Usually guys play the way they play because that's how they know how to play. And there can be a little bit of involvement, but the show me then is more, if you don't do this, then you're probably not going to be in the rotation. Right. You know, or at least you're not going to start. And then the other thing I wanted to add, so I think Austin Reeves is a, is a, is a little different areas just in that he's a, 
like a young player whose rights they control, right? In terms of a contract. So yes, he's not, his contract isn't determined, but it's going to be different if when it's within your team, like you, you have a little bit more invested in that. And I'm, and I'm sure you would agree with that. It's just, it's like, totally a little, agree. I yeah, totally yeah, agree yeah. with that. But I'm just making the point that it's just like, Hey, everyone, this is everyone's job. Everyone, right. everyone is competing for this. And that's why Austin's idea of like, I want to start. Like Ooh, sure. I see myself as that level of player. Like, like the Lakers should want to hear that from him as well too. I think. And there was one other subtlety Pete, before I kick it to you there with, with say like Austin Lonnie Walker, where you come into the gym and Lonnie Walker doing a workout, I bet looks great, like explosive, right? The shot looks nice. Austin can come in and and uh, you know not have that same level of like athleticism or maybe hitting forty threes in a row. But then, but you put those two in fives, right? And then, and that's where the tape on Austin from last year and on Lonnie Walker from last year, those are going to look different. And like Austin's going to look better in that team context, I think, right? Than than a guy. So that's that's another little subtlety of like, okay, show me in that you come in in great shape. Okay, great. Check. Okay. Shot looks good. You know, the attitude looks good. Clearly you've been working your ass off, but, but now show me that you also can play basketball with this group. Absolutely. And I think that that speaks to two separate dynamics that are uh, at play as we head into camp. So let's take a quick break, come back and talk more about those. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So guys, there are two things that I think of within the context of this is one, you need seven or eight guys for a playoff rotation. And I think that you've got a, a solid group of role players. Like it, I, I need to write it out uh, to, to determine exactly, but I think you've got eight or nine guys competing for five spots, six spots in the rotation. And that, I think that leads to a healthy environment of competitiveness where you don't have to rely on the tape and the fives that you're watching now are no longer Lonnie Walker in San Antonio or Austin Reeves with a bad Lakers team last year. It's the guys you're watching in front of you in the gym, right? As a right now. And so that training camp battle, I think is, is healthy in and of itself, but there's another element of this that is sort of uh, has an alchemy to it in its nature in that you've got a lot of guys on vet minimum contracts or young players that are looking to find their spot in this league. And I think a lot D about how does this group of five players fit together? Because we're focused so much on like, how does this guy come into camp? How's he shooting? How's he moving this and that? But especially at this level of salary range, 
all of these guys have weaknesses and they all have uh, different elements of their game where in this situation, they're going to be good. In this situation, they're probably not going to be very good. And so that alchemy of five man units, I think, starts to emerge as well. That isn't even a a matter of uh, a, a criticism of a certain player or something that they do you know, particularly well, it's just that that group works together. And some guys have more interchangeability, which I think Austin is very much that type of player where they're going to work in a bunch of different type of lineups. But if I'm sitting in Darwin's shoes right now, finding my different five man units of which you have like four or five main ones over the course of the game, that's one of the things I'm looking for during this time too. And it's not so much based on the individual talents, but how much they fit into the bigger picture. Yeah, no, that's 100 percent. And it's one of the reasons why I was thinking a lot about the starting lineup again, because one of the key lineups is the one you start each half with. Right. That's one of the five man groups. And if you look across the league, that's Mike. The starting group is typically going to be your most played lineup in any given season. And they're typically going to play as much as one and a half to two times more minutes than your next most played lineup. So it's super important that you get that group right. I just had a little PTSD going through lineup data from last year. And it's like March and the leading group has played 60 minutes together or something. Our, our leading group played like how many? It, it had it's Avery Bradley ridiculous. in it. it. It played like the least amount of any team by like. No, I yeah. think the Lakers' most played five man group played something like ninety five minutes or ninety one minutes together all season. <laughs> it was a ridiculous number, right? So that's injuries and all kinds of other stuff. But a part of it also was like the search for groups that knew what the hell they were doing and could play together. And so it wasn't rare, Pete, that the Lakers started, I think, 41 or 42 different starting lineups last season. That wasn't because lineup 39 wasn't available on the next night. It was because lineup 39 didn't do enough to show any belief. And so that's one of the criticisms I think we both had of Frank Vogel last season was like, just stick with something for like two weeks. Just give me two weeks of something just to see. But that's what happens when you dig a hole, right? You like you dig a (laughs) hole and you're like, okay, well this, this thing that I tried didn't give me positive traction to get out of the hole. Let's try something else. Right. And so it's one of the reasons why I started to think more and more, Mike, about starting lineup stuff for this season. And it's because the Lakers are in a very tricky situation where they need to start the season well. They've got a lot of bad juju from last season. And and if Russ actually starts the season on the roster then there's already going to be this idea of if things start to go south, the Mm -hmm. bad vibes, fans are going to be very quick to be like, what the hell is going on? You should have traded this dude. Like it's all Mm -hmm. these. And and like the fingers are going to start getting pointed very quickly. And that's bad news for a first year head coach. You don't want Darvin Ham to have to navigate that. And so part of, so part of this is, putting yourself in the best position to succeed as early in the season as possible. And that's what brought me back to this discussion of the starting five and okay, well, how many of these positions are actually up for grabs? I happen to think Pete that 
there may be another spot that might be locked in and Damian Jones feels like a dude who's going to start the season. The more and more I think about it, the more I think about this is a guy who does all of the things that you want defensively in a in a team that Darvin Ham is going going to coach just from the idea of like he's going to protect the basket, he's going to play in a drop coverage fairly effectively, he can guard his position well enough that you don't feel the need to say okay ad you have to go and guard this dude right and i think it slots everyone appropriately in a way in the front court that that would allow things now maybe you don't see it quite that way but i'm starting to use ink a little bit with damian jones's name Mm. rather than pencil but i guess i'm just saying that like we're getting closer and closer to hard decisions having to be made and Mm -hmm. And I'm interested to see where you guys are with with all of this, with Russ or with anyone else that's that's potentially slotted into to a starting spot. Yeah, let, let me focus on Jones real quick. I'm not quite as high on him defensively. Um, one of my concerns about the AD and Jones combo is that ideally the five next to Jones or next to AD is somebody that can bang with the big fives, and that's something that J- Jones is a little light in his back pocket as as chick used to say right and he um and so if he's matched up against uh, an mb to valanchunas a Jokic, this the bigger beefier type of guys i think he gets kind of bodied around the rim a little bit and so that's something between that's not a strength of ad's either uh certainly not at the four he doesn't get bodied by those guys but there are going to be some times where that kind of physical presence isn't there as much so jones is a guy though with his athletic ability and uh and with showing some signs of being able to pop his jumper is a little bit belabored <laughs> but he's uh i think that slot three that pick and pop three is something that's going to be important whether it's rest or not just kind of having that in our, our back pocket um and and so i like I don't know where Jones slots in if, if he's you know closer to ink or uh, or pencil in terms of that starting spot, Mike. But I do think that he's somebody that is particularly important to this team because I think that defensively that rim, that rim protecting five, he is a shot blocker. He is somebody that can go up and get those. That's important. But I think there are other aspects of his pick and roll defense and physicality around the rim. Those are the big questions with Jones. Well, to me, this is where we get back to expectations and what the Lakers had available to them to bring in players. And we're talking about two veteran minimum go- minimum guys. Now, they're a step ahead of last year's veteran minimum guys. So it's DeAndre yep. Jordan and Dwight Howard at that stage of their career. But like you're if you're a vet man, almost by nature, you either have some some true weaknesses relative to the other players at your position um, or age or some sort of mitigating factor. So I think Jones at is actually a really good value at a minimum. And so that's why for me, uh, he just always had a bit of an edge until I see that Bryant, you know, can kind of get back to that player that he was growing into pre-injury. And I haven't, I just haven't seen him yet. Right. I can start to talk to some people who have seen him. And that to me is where the, is where Jones gets that edge. And the stuff that Darius mentioned about fit, I think makes sense too. Uh, It's just that he's not, he's also not a shot blocker in the way that AD is a shot blocker where he's sort he's sort of like scanning the whole floor. Um, he's sort of like going for blocks when guys beat their man and come into the lane, you know, right. like, Oh, here comes a driver. I'm going to go get that ball. And he can sometimes. And those are a lot of opportunities. There are a lot of opportunities with this type of style. You kind of keep your five back waiting, lurking around the rim to do exactly that. Yeah. And that's the part that I think fits, but there are also some limitations there. So I'm just in, it's, it's right back to that whole 
looking at the way that, th- that they had to build the roster, right. Based on what was there and how they can deal with that. Well, you're going to get, you're going to get some weaknesses in some of these other spots, but the flip side to that is that like, that's where you get some benefit from an Austin who is still on the contract that he's on, but can exceed that and can do more than that, you know, and, and hopefully that impacts the way that the overall team plays. Um, I'm just at the center spot, you know, I'm, I'm not counting on that to be like a, a major plus for the Lakers. Just like, can they survive and can it not detract in the way that last year's did, right? Cause last right. year's really hurt them in a lot of ways. I guess I just have less concerns about what the front court is, is going to do when you have a team that's built around LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis, I think whoever their front court part partner is just needs to fill a couple of key spots mm-hmm. and do a couple of key, key things. And I think this year's roster is much better positioned to be able to provide and do those things than last year's roster was, which is why I am focused on the guards. And I've said this before, it's just like, I do want the Lakers to get another forward, but they have a lot of guards right now and not all of them are going to be able to play. And especially not all of them are going to be able to play the role in which I'm sure that they hope they're going to have heading into training camp. And one of those guards might just be Russell Westbrook. And I'll be very interested in seeing guys like how this plays out and whether or not he is in that starting group by the time that the regular season starts, because there's a lot of time between now and October, whatever, when the year, and there's going to be a lot of opportunity to see if he is ready, as Pete mentioned earlier, ready to kick everyone's ass and show him that it is going to be a revenge tour type of season, or if the decline that we saw last season is real. And I'll be very interested to see where in that range he falls, Pete, because that is a range. There it is. And I I wonder about a certain degree of mental checkout, too, right, where it's like how when they went into this offseason, presumably from everything we've heard, Russ didn't want to be back. The Lakers were looking to trade him. Right. Is it I don't think that there was a, you know, a rocky montage scene of Russell Westbrook getting ready to, you know, like get revenge on everyone with the the Lakers. I think the likeliest thing or the thing that they were working toward is is a trade and maybe a buyout somewhere else. But the types of destinations that he was being talked about, they weren't trading for him for the prospects of him being their starting point guard. Right. And so there are all sorts of factors within this where. As we talk about this more and more, it becomes more obvious, especially with your points about the guards, D, is that this team was built for a Russell Westbrook cha- trade, for Russ to be traded for a front court player. <laughs> Honestly, in terms like the roster would make a lot more sense. And there's you don't have that glut of guards and kind of you're thin in the front court. So that said, we go into the season with limbo in, in limbo, at least where we are right now. Maybe something happens in the next 12 days, but kind of as we as we flesh out this roster, that becomes more and more apparent. So Anyway, we're going to wrap it up here. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, But until then, you've listened to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. 
a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.